Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from The Body in the Bed, written by Stuart Sterling. Murder, Mayhem, and Intrigue at the Plaza Royale It was just another busy day at the Plaza Royale, until a pretty hotel manicurist, white with terror, suddenly fled through the lobby and disappeared into the crowded Manhattan streets. Her unexplained flight and the discovery of some blood-stained pillow slips gave Gilvine, the hotel's detective, the tip-off that trouble was brewing. Its source turned out to be the suite of a secretive South American mogul and his entourage, including a beautiful senorita, a vicious monkey, a muscular valet, and an elusive character known as Miguel. When Gil investigated, he walked into one of the most explosive situations in his career. For the Latin was really an ousted dictator, loaded with stolen money and jewels, and with a host of assassins pledged to kill him. Stuart Sterling is credited by leading reviewers with having been one of the originators of the specialized or modus operandi school of detective story writers, as opposed to the private investigator who has no background in any particular field of criminal activity. His special squad stories in Black Mask were the first to make use of inside techniques as used by the Loft Squad, Bomb and Forgery Squad, the Criminal Identification Bureau, and the Stolen Property Bureau of the New York Police Department. His Fire Marshal Pedley stories were acclaimed by Thomas Brophy, New York City's most celebrated fire marshal, as being true to the modern methods employed in the detection of arsonists. His hotel detective tales, with Gil Vine as chief security officer of a swank Fifth Avenue hotel, have been published in many foreign countries, and Sterling received letters from all over the world with the Oliver Twist request for more. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from The Body in the Bed. Chapter 1 The storm broke just as I finished the gigot d'un that Sandor had thoughtfully sent down from the three hours for lunch club in our sky-high room. Ever since noon, thunderheads had been rumbling off to the northwest. Through the windows of my third-floor office in the Plaza Royale, I had watched the build-up, black clouds castling ominously above the towered apartment houses across Central Park, spears of lightning lancing across the dark sky, sweeping nursemaids and strollers off the pathways. Now, suddenly, gusts whipped the branches of the trees along Fifth Avenue, Rain came hosing against the windows, the thunder became a gargantuan drum roll, as if to shame and advance the man-made efforts at explosive noise which could be expected tomorrow, the 4th of July. With all the tumult in the heavens, things seemed to be quiet enough inside the hotel. Many of our resident guests were in the country for the summer anyhow, and most of the other permanents were taking the deep weekend on Long Island Sound or in the Adirondack. But in a thousand-room metropolitan hotel, there are always enough routine matters to keep the security chief busy, even during a July hot spell. So I pushed aside the coffee cup and put my mind on the consumption report for the month of June, consumption being a polite term for plain theft. 
After nine years as chief of security, it takes something out of the ordinary in the line of human depravity to surprise me. Yet I am frequently astonished at the sort of people who steal from a hotel in which they have spent several days and maybe a hundred dollars or so. It's standard procedure to charge off against advertising the 6,000 demitasse spoons we lose each month in our banquet rooms and restaurants and cafes. However, you can't pretend that Steuben crystal flower bowls, at $300 a dozen wholesale, give the Plaza Royale any useful publicity in some pilferer's possession. Yet, 14 of these beauties had been consumed in June all presumably taken by people who could afford twenty per diem for their rooms, folks who wouldn't dream of pocketing a dime if they found it on the carpet in a friend's home. The bedspread count showed its usual depressing loss, too, and I was wondering if we might not have to inaugurate a tougher policy about patrons who progressed from bath towel snitching to taking such items as candlewick spreads when my secretary, Jane, called from the outer office. Howie Jones says he has a funny one for you, Mr. Vine. I said, I could use a funny one just about now, and picked up my phone. Howie is our laundry master and an old hand at washing dirty linen in public. He's been in charge down in the sub-basement since they installed the first steam ironing machine. Could you hop down a minute, Mr. Vine? I got a new wrinkle to show you. From a laundry man, that's quite a statement. No kidding, you ought to see this. Be right down, Howie. Jane stopped typing the new lost and found list as I passed her desk. You didn't eat your dessert, she said in her best big sister manner. Too rich, you eat it. She wrinkled her nose at me. She was on one of those ten-day slim downs. What's Howie steaming about? About a hundred and ten degrees, I expect. Carry on with that list. The cannonading of thunder followed me down to the basement but in the sub-basement it was drowned out by the clatter and thump of the laundry machinery. It was hot and the humidity must have been up to 98. It was like being in the steam room of our finished bath pavilion. Howie was at the sorting bins. Sweat bubbled on his shiny red forehead and trickled across his bald head. He pointed to a couple of pillow slips on the bench alongside the bins. Now I've seen everything. Lots of people steal them but this is the first time I know of a guest buying new ones for us. They did look as if they'd never been used. One slip had been turned inside out. There seemed to be a patterning of faint pink, striping an even fainter oval of pinkish brown about the diameter of a basketball. Howie said, Irish linen they are. The Plaza Royale would go broke buying that quality. Guest spared no expense when he replaced our percales with those. Which guest, I asked. That South American, the coffee king? One has the ambassador suite. Maid stripped these off the pillows in the bedroom this morning. Gentleman's probably allergic to percale, like that Maharani last winter who brought her own silk sheets with her. Yeah? He held the inside-out slip up to the hanging light. Maybe he's allergic to goose down, too. He had the pillow washed, the pillow this was on. It hadn't dried. Some of the color ran from the design on the ticking, see? Not exactly. Well, look, the pillow stuffing itself wasn't washed, only the ticking. Whatever had stained the pillow and the slip, they didn't put it in the bathroom hamper or the wastebaskets or anywhere. Whatever it was, it soaked into the goose down. So when this new slip was put on, some of the stuff oozed back through the ticking. 
I couldn't be positive without a lab test, but I think that's blood. Man probably had a nosebleed. He frowned, glancing at me out of the corners of his eyes. Well, not the first time that's happened. But then why go to the trouble of going out buying two new pillow slips? No reason to be ashamed of a nosebleed. I don't know, Howie. I don't know whether that's a blood stain or not. But you were right, tipping me off. Bear looking into. Maids that racked up on the south end of 17 were Aggie and Dot, the one they called Dotty Dimple. You know that pair. They wouldn't make a mistake about the old slips not showing up. Maids will be off duty now. The IBM clock over the time card stand showed 2.37. The morning shift of floor maids quit at 2 o'clock. I'll take this along, Howie, and let you know what I find out. I rolled the stained pillow slip into a tight cylinder and got out of that sweltering atmosphere of wet wash and hot metal. Waiting for the service car to take me up to the lobby, I turned over in my mind the little I knew about the gentleman in our most expensive transient suite. I hadn't seen the Polas party when it checked in a week before, but I had heard the Latins arrive with no little pomp and circumstance. The rich man himself, a confidential aide, a secretary, and a valet, with more luggage than my battalion of marines went ashore with in those faraway but not forgotten island landings. None of the Polas party were registered to anyone a precaution usually taken only by visiting celebrities who wish to avoid unwelcome callers and troublesome newspaper men. But the South American was no celebrity, at least he wasn't in New York. There hadn't been any journalistic reference to his arrival as far as I knew, certainly no invasion of the Plaza Royale by any swarm of press photographers, nor was this merchant prince seeking notoriety. He stayed holed up in his suite, never descending to the dining rooms or lounges, never making an appearance in the lobby. Sandor had put a special chef on duty in the ambassador's suite's small kitchen. The valet served as waiter. For further information, I went to Reedy Duman, assistant manager in charge on the day side. He didn't take me into his cubbyhole of an office, but stopped at the door, as if afraid he might miss a trick by not being where he could watch what went on in the lobby. He doesn't keep an eye on the guests only the employees, to see if any of them try to sneak a fast chew of gum. Eduardo Polas, yes, yes. His pale and puffy face, it always reminded me of an unripe cassava surmounting a black bow tie. Shone with pleasure, his smile was toothily reminiscent. A very big wheel in South America. Let's see. Reservation for one month at 2200. Check in advance on Banco Nacional, Mexico City. Recommended to us by my good friend Bill Portalisi of the Hotel Alfer, where Polis has been living for several months. I understand he has plantation interests near Lake Chapala. A most desirable patron. What did you want to know about him? All I can find out. I didn't display the pillow slip. Why is he in town? Who comes to see him? Women, you mean? The corners of his small pursy lips turned downward. Evidently you weren't here when Signor Polas came in from the airport. In his entourage is one of the most spectacularly good-looking brunettes it has ever been my pleasure. He broke off, staring pop-eyed at the bank of elevators across the lobby. A tall, busty blonde came racing out of the elevator, her frilly black apron flapping wildly over her white uniform skirt as she sprinted toward the Fifth Avenue entrance. Here, Reedy called sharply. You mustn't run. Not in the lobby. 
If she heard, she gave no indication. She streaked by the bell captain's desk, where Leo tried to stop her by grabbing her arm. But she shook him off, twisted away, pushed through the swinging doors, and pelted out onto the avenue, into a downpour little short of a cloudburst. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from The Body in the Bed. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.